Welcome to After Hour, a podcast where a journalist retains a lawyer to solve societal problems. Because sometimes knowing why isn't good enough. We need to know what we can do. Sometimes we need more than truth. We need hope. I'm Jane Steele, your host and investigative journalist here with Joseph, the managing partner of Sang & Associates. Today, I want to talk to you about transnational organized crime. The particular case is actually a 2011 incident involving a band of mafia members who expanded their business to international levels. Typically, we think of the mafias in a particular area, particular suburb, but this was a transnational crime syndicate involving the most famous American organized crime syndicate because seven of the men who were involved were said to be linked to the Gambino and Bonanno crime families in New York. So according to authorities, the scheme was designed to dominate an empire of strip clubs across Manhattan, Queens, and Long Island. And what these men did is they recruited women from Russia and other Eastern European countries to illegally enter the United States and work as exotic dancers in these clubs that they set up. The problem was visa rules bar them from adult entertainment. Makes sense. (laughs) So fake offers for summer waitressing jobs were arranged and they had the women apply for seasonal visas. On top of this, they would send recruiters to go lurk around Kennedy Airport in Queens, New York, looking for Eastern Europeans who fit their profile, who were actually here for legitimate purposes. So they were here to work as nannies or camp counselors for the summer, and they would approach them. And they would essentially sit in the airport profiling these women and then go up and offer them these jobs. 20 people were arrested and accused of criminal activity. And that included racketeering, extortion, and immigration and marriage fraud. And the men involved in this included the Gambino captain, Alfonso Truccio, and alleged Bonanno captain, Anthony Pericomo. So from a legal standpoint, I think it's really important that we understand that these women were not seen as independent contractors. They were the property of the mafia. They were going to do what the mafia said. They were going to go where the mafia wanted them to go, work where they were told to work, and whatever money they made was shuffled back. So these women are not co-conspirators. Sometimes that line is blurred and sometimes the women get lumped into the crime, but that's just not the case. I'm sure there's a lot of abuse going on. They also forced women to get married to American men for $5,000. Now that $5,000 wasn't going to the women, it was going to the men who were willing to marry these Eastern European ladies because otherwise the women would get kicked out of the U.S. They needed to be married to get that green card so they could keep making money in the strip clubs and keep being profit centers for the mafia. From my investigations, it wasn't immediately clear even how many women were involved or what would happen to them afterwards. You know, are they going to be indicted? Are they just going to be shipped off and have no chance of ever coming to the U.S. again? What's going to happen to these women? It wasn't immediately clear. And that's a problem because if they are victims, they should be labeled as such and treated as such throughout the entire process. So I would argue that the mafia's involvement is actually essential to the transnational trafficking we have going on because we're already in this instance doing dealing with the mafia in New York, the Russian mob, and all these women trapped in between. So you see there's, there's links to these countries and the women aren't just 
going to make it over from Russia or these other Eastern European countries on their own, their way is paved via organized crime syndicates. So if effective countermeasures are to be developed that actually work, I think we need to take a much closer look at what the mafia is doing. This is really the nail in the coffin for me. In recent years, the mafia has been involved in child prostitution. So up until now, in this case, we're talking about women over 18, which regardless of everything else, they are legally adults. But the mafia has now been charged with child prostitution as well. If we were making excuses before, which I don't, not to say people were, that has to go out the window because now we're talking about children and this needs to be taken seriously. At least with the women, you can make the argument, oh, they signed on the dotted line. They're adults. They knew they would be working in a club. But once we put children into the equation, girls under 18, we need to take this much more seriously. And that loose identification of the women, are they involved? Are they co-conspirators? Or are they victims? Or just kind of in the middle? As soon as there's a child in there, we need to know who these women are. And we need to care for them and not lump them in with these men who are extorting them and forcing them to do things they don't want to do. So this is really frustrating. I want to understand how can the mafia concoct these schemes, operate with so much publicity in the middle of New York, and still seemingly wiggle through holes in our immigration system? That personally sends a signal that there's something wrong with our American system. There's something broken, that this is just allowed to pass and no red flag was raised. So, Joseph, I know you don't work for the U.S. government. You're not retained by them. But you have seen a lot of cases and you have a lot of experience. So I want to ask you, how do we stop these criminal organizations from gaming the system? Also, as a side to that, why is the system so weak to even allow this? So the, the case that you're mentioning, it started in 2011. Is that right? Right. Okay. So that's four years before Interpol and FBI announced their cooperation and sharing data to fight these terrorism and cyber attacks. That's the thing that we need to first recognize. A lot of these international syndicates and organized crime happen across borders. And a lot of the planning and orchestrating isn't on U.S. soil. So the goal of the FBI is to stop the entire organization. It's like the Hydra. You chop off one, another 10 will grow up, right? And knowing that, knowing what FBI's role is and how they are trying to solve and crack down the entire organization is very much at stake. And so sometimes it takes years before they can crack down. And finally, they did in 2011. And this probably is an ongoing operation. And I'm sure Till this day, 2021, there's still a lot of those activities going on, but on a much smaller scale. And FBI is tackling the largest threats and not every threat. And organized crime has significantly evolved since days of old. A lot of times how they operate is they leverage their symbiotic relationships with local officers, little businesses, or uh, maybe a corrupt DMV official that can get a driver's license, things like that. It's not at the highest level with the kings and the queens and you know the diplomats be able to get certain favors. It's very, very much local. And when you, you know stop one ring, another one can easily pop up. Instead of New York, maybe it's in Texas, maybe it's in California. What I'm saying is, is the way organized crime has developed, they're constantly one-steppers. It's too easy to maneuver because they're such a small group. 
of people, as, as large as it is compared to the entire FBI organization and the detectives and the resources that they have to put in to stop these international crimes, they're very small and they're very nimble, right? They can constantly change from one strip club and one city to another. So that's one level. I'm going to talk about you know, what they're doing well later and what they can do to improve. But the second thing is the specific immigration system that we have. How do they commit these visa frauds, right? So unlike the FBI, consular officers, the people who are checking the visas, issuing the visas, they're not trained or tasked with trying to combat organized crime. They're just trained to review a form, an application, and check out some of the red flags. And if it's clean, then they issue the visa and they come in. Now, it might be very easy to say, well, why don't we just make that you know, process a lot more stringent? It's actually already extremely stringent. If you're looking at the visa application, you have to fill out, you know, where your parents live, who your parents are, your children, where they go to school, your work. You have to provide your financial information. It's kind of like combining a mortgage application with a job application, with a background application. You can imagine how in-depth it is. And you have to go through a personal interview and they do background checks before you get a visa to be able to allow it in the country. So it's actually quite difficult to get that visa. But that doesn't mean there's people who take advantage of the loophole in the system to get the fraudulent visa, right? So you were saying a lot of people who, you know, came here for a, a camp counselor. So a lot of those are J visas, right? And or seasonal workers, those are H visas. So when you put together an application and with these criminal organizations, I'm sure they know how to put together an application as sophisticated and as in-depth as it is to pass through the radar without being flagged. And if the U.S. makes it a lot more stringent, well, then other people, other normal, real seasonal workers can't get the visa. There's a lot of people who are already perfectly clean and good and can't get the visas, right? And so you make it extremely difficult, then our economy will shut down. And so we cannot make it that hard. That's the first part about this whole visa process. People who are not in the U.S. getting these visas and then coming through. And then at the airport, the immigration officer asked, why are you coming to the country? And you have like a quick one minute conversation and then you're allowed in. And a lot of these people end up staying long term illegally, doing unlawful work, illegal work, and then being able to get a fake green card and then stay here and continue to be victims of this entire organized crime. And your question is, how can we stop it? I think one of the first things to recognize is that this is a very much business operation. These mafia is doing it not because they just want to exploit women or children, but because it's very profitable. How do you stop a business from being profitable? You can make the process a lot more expensive so that it's not as profitable. And I think that is what the U.S. government did in the past decade. Before, the immigration system was all in one, the INS. And it makes sense. Things are a lot more efficient. You apply for a visa, you go through one agency, you file one paperwork, and now it's largely split into three with overseeing powers. And it's extremely not efficient. And you wonder, why did they do that? And this is actually part of the reason why. So first, you go through the State Department, you go to the embassy and consulates abroad, and if they don't issue you the visa, there's actually no judicial authority to sue them. And so that's an entire different branch of government issuing the visa. Then when they come through the border, it's a police officer. It's an immigration officer. They can review the entire immigration application. You already got the visa. You already got approved. But they can revoke the visa on the spot at the airport with a secondary interview. And that's a, with a policing power as well. 
And that's scary, but people at the airport have that power, the CBP. Then after coming in, if you want to stay, you change your from your J visa to a B visa, or you come in as a tourist and you want to get a green card, you have to file adjustment of status. Then you're filing with USCIS, another department, and then they review your application before they issue it. So three separate agencies, all with their own unique power, all with their own insight into your background. Why is it so inefficient? Why, why purposely separate it? And I think one of the reasons why is it makes things a lot more complicated. If you are the mafia, if you are an organized crime and you want to take advantage of the system and trafficking of people and persons, well, if you bribed one officer before, well, then suddenly it becomes very efficient. Now you might have to do it three times. So you have to have your, you know, foreign office prepare the application, train the applicant to get the visa then help them get through the airport situation. Might be easy, but it could be difficult. We've seen a lot of CBP officers revoke visas, revoke green cards, and get them sent back because they also have policing authority and they can see the past records. And that's only recently in the past few years. Before, they, they, they couldn't, but the system is becoming much more interconnected. And so now they have that policing authority. And then when they're physically here in the U.S., since Obama and, and President Trump, they created a lot more agencies to detect fraud. So when you try to submit paperwork before, maybe there's no interview. Now there's an interview before it takes, you know, three months. Somebody just looks at your application and immediately sends the work permit or the green card. Now it could take a lot longer. So it makes things a lot more complicated, a lot more friction. Another thing I think our agencies are doing really well is getting the systems to be interconnected and leveraging the big data, right? So getting all the biometrics, getting all the facial recognition, checking all these points and having red flags pop up on the system without manually and human efforts to check. I think getting other countries to participate with our programs and linking up the systems really help combat these crimes. We're in the transition phase in the way technology in our, our world is governed. There might be a lot of loopholes now, but with leveraging AI, leveraging technology, we're really going to be able to combat a lot of these crimes uh, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now. And the U.S. is such a small country. There's all these international organizations that want to take advantage, invade, attack, all of these problems. And if FBI, with limited resources that they have, have to combat the rest of the world, in, in a sense. And it's extremely, extremely difficult and let alone the visa officers themselves, right? Freshly trained, maybe a couple months and then after review application. What makes it extremely difficult, this case specifically, is that everything is orchestrated. These women, when they were applying for a visa, they are in cohort with the organized crime. Maybe they're deceived, but nonetheless, they are saying what has been prepared for them. Just like what you said, a lot of these criminals, they are lurking at the airports. Well, that means when these women applied for the jobs, they were telling the truth. When they were going through the airport, they were telling the truth. So if there was a lie detector test, they would pass all of it. Once they exited and picking up their bags, then they changed their visa. That's because they changed their mind. And that's all perfectly legal. Now, what they change their mind to do, suddenly they become victims. They get trapped in the system. Maybe they're under threat. Maybe the mafia is threatening their family back at home. So they're worried. But that's a different situation than they get trafficked from abroad all the way over, right? So what I would recommend to these women, or if anybody knows somebody who's trapped in the system, they are forced to work unlawfully under the table. 
is that there is this U visa that exists in our immigration system. If you have a specific information and you yourself, you're trafficked in, if you provide this key information to U.S. intelligence, you will get a green card and you will be protected. I've done a few cases that are like this, okay? So I, I know how it is to work with the FBI and work with the government agencies. A lot of people are under threat because they feel like if they don't continue to work, they won't be able to get a visa. They won't be able to get a green card. A lot of these criminal organizations are promising, well, if you continue to work for just another two years, I'll bring your family over or I'll be able to get you the green card and then you can stay and then you can leave. So they're under this false impression and under threat. And also if they don't comply, then everything will be cut off and they are scared. But if they know they provide US intelligence with this key info, then they themselves can get a green card and their family can get a green card, then it relieves a lot of that. But a lot of people just don't know that. So that is the way the U.S. intelligence is combating these organized crime, providing a way so that the victims themselves can help themselves, that they can provide the intelligence and they can work as a witness to the crime. Because again, the FBI is not interested in just shutting down another strip club. They want to combat this entire organization, go all the way to the top, right? And that's what the, the RICO law was created for. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it really makes sense to me that the knowledge of help being available can be really empowering, even when you find yourself in a really scary situation. So that's something that can really help people who may find themselves here. But then also how what we may think of as bureaucracy and that takes a million years to get through immigration is actually a protection for people who are in trouble. That's really interesting to me. You know, with one criminal act, they can get a whole bunch of people and they, get, they stop the organization in the track. So that's the goal. Well, thank you so much, Joseph. That definitely sheds a lot of light for me on what's going on behind the scenes and from your perspective, not just from an ordinary citizen looking at the aftermath of a crime. The government is actually doing a lot to help people in these situations and to prevent this sort of international crime. And it's complex. It's not just one gate, one form. There's all of these layers meant to protect us and protect people. So thank you for explaining that and talking through it and really showing us what actually is going on behind the scenes in cases like this. And that there's probably hundreds of cases like this, but we're working at a broader level and we're working at a higher level to stop it from, from the top and then on your way down. But I honestly especially love how you were able to bring it back to, to the individual, to the women, to people who are trapped in this situation or people like you and I, the ordinary person who's not involved in, in government work or not seeing these things in their life that we're actually empowered to do something, to make change, that there's things like the U visa available to people in this exact situation. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for really just shedding light on the issue and on things that do need to change, but then also on what we're doing currently to stop it and how the government is doing that. And at the same time, we can work together with one another to bring about change. So thank you so much for your time. I feel empowered. I hope our listeners feel empowered. <laughs> you feel empowered. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great being here. <laughs> Many thanks to Joseph for our conversation today. After Hours is a podcast by Sangin Associates. 
an international firm dedicated to solving legal problems with creative solutions. If you enjoyed today's episode of After Hour, you will find these conversations and more on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For information on Sang & Associates, go to sangslaw.com. Feel free to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, as well as to learn more about what we do and hear success stories from Sang & Associates. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thank you for joining me for After Hour. I'm Jane Steele.